So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to name a street, and you tell me what you immediately think of when I name a street. You ready? Hollywood Boulevard. What? Pretty woman? Is that what you said? (laughs) That's good. Um, uh, Wall Street, New York City. Money. Money. Uh, Bourbon Street, New Orleans. Alcohol. (laughs) Alcohol. (laughs) Pennsylvania Avenue, Washington, D.C. White House. House, yeah. Uh, The Strip, Las Vegas. Uh, Rodeo Drive, L.A. That's where I think a pretty woman is. The big mistake, huge mistake. Um, Broadway, New York City. Chaos. Chaos. <laughs> it does feel like that. Elm Street of the movies. Ooh. Hard. Elm Street, Freddy Krueger, yeah. Uh, Skid Row, L.A. Bad, yeah. Sad. Um, Here's one that you may not know. North Warren Avenue, Detroit. Nothing? That's, uh, that's literally one of the worst streets in America. Uh, yeah, yeah, one of the highest crime streets in America. Um, probably one of the least uh, desirable parts of real estate where you would live. Do you like the street you live on? Uh, what do you think of when you think of your street or when you think of our neighborhood? Uh, because uh, so often... Our, um, our streets carry a stigma or a weight, good or bad. Um, it's really like people even in Charlestown will say, oh, that street or, oh, this street, that's a good place or that's a bad place at times. Bono, as we go through a series, he grew up in Ireland in the late 60s and in the 70s where streets mattered because some streets would be Protestant streets and some neighborhoods were Protestant neighborhoods and some streets and neighborhoods were Catholic neighborhoods and it became, uh, it would become very dangerous in some sense. He, uh, in reading interviews he's done over the years, there was a, a bombing on Talbot Street in Dublin in May 1974. He would every day go through that route and go into this uh, sort of city square in Dublin where this bomb went off and killed uh, multiple people sort of in the name of denominational religion. And uh, he has told the story over and over. That was one of the moments when he knew God had a plan for his life because by all accounts, he would have gone through that square every single day, except on that day, there was a bus strike and he wasn't on that bus where the bomb uh, went off. And so uh, he looks and says, man, that was a moment in my life, but that's a very, that street has a very powerful weight uh, for him and thinking about it. Uh, after a couple of albums, Bono and his wife, Allie, uh, who he's been married to all his life, had, the, I believe, the privilege to go to Africa, to go to Ethiopia on sort of a, like almost like a mission trip, a seeing trip. And they saw the lack of infrastructure, the great poverty, uh, the curable disease that was there. And he really has taken the last 30 years of his life to sort of run two parallel tracks. One, uh, there this crazy famous rock and roll band. On the other, uh, he's an advocate for the poorest of the poor and the most vulnerable of the vulnerable in our world and has literally, uh, I think at the the turn of the century, became part of this campaign to end third world debt uh, where countries were indebted to first world nations and could never sort of climb the ladder of economic prosperity because of the interest that they owe on the debt that they have to these first world countries. And so he has... uh, Accomplished the cancellation of hundreds of millions of dollars of debt for African nations who were indebted. And I love that. Um, I love that his faith compelled him to live a different way and to do different things. I think that's really, really cool. And so this song that we just listened to is a bit of a debriefing of that trip 
um, you know, this idea of where there's lack of infrastructure and there's a place where the streets have no name, but it's also looking forward to the kingdom of God, to heaven, where the streets don't literally have names because in God's kingdom, it doesn't matter what part of the neighborhood you live in. God is the central piece of that neighborhood and he's the central part of that neighborhood. And so it's a kingdom song and it's a justice song. And it is one of my favorite songs of all time. I could listen to it instrumentally just with the guitar and the bass guitar. It sounds so good. But then when you layer in the words, uh, it's really powerful. Jesus's neighborhood had an identity too. Uh, This is one of the things that I don't think it was just a few years ago, I began to understand the stigmas of the different places where Jesus did ministry in his life. He grew up, uh, he was born in Bethlehem. His family relocated as refugees down to Egypt for the early part of his life. And then when they came back, uh, they ended up in a place called Nazareth, which was in the northern part of uh, Palestine. Uh, That would make it the far eastern, southeastern part of the Roman Empire. It would be the deep south of the Roman Empire, if you can think about all the things that sort of culturally come along with being part of the deep south. And then Nazareth would have been the deep south of Palestine. And so there was even an accent that people would have who lived in that part of Palestine. And so uh, Jesus kind of comes on the scene and people say, one of the potential disciples literally says, Nazareth? can anything good come from Nazareth? Why would I follow this guy? He comes from Nazareth. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Like, no way the Messiah, the, the Son of God, the Savior, is going to come from Nazareth. Why would I follow him? Um, the, a Savior or an important person would come from Rome or Athens or Ephesus or Alexandria, Egypt, but surely, and maybe even Jerusalem, but surely not Nazareth. Like, God's man cannot possibly come from Nazareth. But at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's, he's been baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist, comes out of the water, goes in the desert for 40 days and fasts 40 days and nights. And then he comes back, and this is kind of the initiation of his ministry in Nazareth at synagogue. Uh, he's going to proclaim a new message. So here it is in Luke 4. Uh, if you've got a paper Bible, uh, if you've got the small prints, page 501, if you've got the large prints, page 952, we're going to look at seven verses, Luke 4, 16 through 22. So here we go. Luke 4, verse 16. And Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to, procl- uh, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus rolled up the scroll, verse 20, and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this the carpenter's boy? Like, how did... That's pretty powerful words he just said there in reading this. And so, let me... There's some stuff that's kind of hidden in there. I think it's kind of out in the open at the same time. So let me just share a couple things. Jesus goes to worship at synagogue on Saturday like any good Jew. In a typical synagogue service, here would be the order of worship. You would come in, you would sing, and be some prayers. 
someone would unroll a scroll from the Old Testament. Typically first, they would unroll one of the uh, scroll from the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy. That was called the law. Someone would read a passage from that. Then they would kind of interpret or preach a sermon around that passage. And then someone else would come up and they would be given a scroll from the rest of a different part of the Bible. That's what Jesus gets here from. This is coming from Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2, what he's reading. And, uh, and then there would be an interpretation of that. There might be another song, some more prayers, giving to the poor uh, through the synagogue. And then everybody would go home. That would be a typical Sunday or Saturday Sabbath service. And uh, so Jesus comes in, he's handed a scroll, he doesn't know which one he's going to be given, he's kind of just handed it, and, uh, and he goes and it says, he looks and he finds these verses in that scroll, he knows what he's looking for, he figures out, okay, this is where we are, Isaiah scroll, okay, he finds chapter, they're not chapter and verses, those were added hundreds of years later, but he finds this passage and he reads it, and, uh, and then he goes and sits down. And everybody's like, hmm, well, that was an interesting passage uh, because this is a, a Messiah passage. This is saying this is what's going to happen uh, when God sends him his anointed person to come and change the world. And, and so basically they say, can you explain that to us what you just taught? And Jesus says, yeah, I'll explain it. I'm the fulfillment of it. I'm the day of the Lord. It's a new day because I'm here. And then he just sits down and everybody's like, hey, <laughs> the carpenter's kid? Like, I mean, the equivalent of, isn't that the guy we saw down at Dunkin' Donuts every day? And now he's standing up saying, like, he's the savior. Like, hmm, they're all amazed. Partly they're like, man, there's something to this guy. And then partly they're like, is he crazy? He's from Nazareth. Like, does he understand what's going on? Uh, but he's saying, I'm the anointed one. And this is Jesus's mission statement that he reads. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's powerful. This is not in my notes, but let me just say one powerful thing that Bono said in an interview a few years ago, kind of quoting C.S. Lewis and, and something that C.S. Lewis said 75 years ago, is that uh, he talks about how people want to make Jesus a good teacher. And he says, we don't really have that luxury because Jesus never claimed just to be a good teacher. Jesus' claim was to be God with skin on. And so either we have to take seriously that claim that Jesus is God with skin on and figure out is that true or not. And we can come to the conclusion that, yes, he is God with skin on or he's crazy because good teachers don't say they're God. And Bono says in this interview with this French atheist uh, journalist, he says, you can't just sort of like go to the supermarket and pick the things Jesus says and walk out of the grocery store with, ooh, I like that. Like, he says he is God with skin on. Like, you're either crazy or actually like you are God. And we have to deal with that. And that's what's happening here with Jesus. Like, we either got to explore this statement more or we've got to just say, this guy's nuts and we don't need anything to do with him. And you being here on a Sunday is on some level saying either you believe that he actually is God with skin on or you're willing to uh, stake that, like you're willing to explore that even more. I think that's powerful. That's a powerful statement. Here's the message that Jesus gives on that day. Just a, a few little, let me just go through sort of line by line. He says, I am chosen. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me. Jesus is saying, I am chosen by God. God's spirit is on Jesus and he is anointed. He's blessed. He's set apart to do something incredible. A like he is set apart for a special mission. Um, 
That word blessed is one of my favorite words in the Bible. And, and here's why. It's such a church word, like hashtag blessed. Like I just think of hashtag blessed. Like when I think of the word blessed now, I literally just think of the like hashtag blessed. Uh, it's such a cultural throw word. We don't even know what it necessarily means anymore. Uh, the idea, when an old Jewish man was dying, he would bring in his firstborn son in biblical times. And the son would come up to the bed and the father would lay his hand on the son, on the back of the son's head. And he'd say, you are my son. And I'm proud of you and I love you. And everything I have and everything I am, I'm passing along to you right now. That was the blessing. A lot of times I'll bless my kids when they're getting in bed and I'll put my hand on the back of their head or on the back of their neck and I'll bless them and say, man, everything that God has ever given me, I pray that he gives you more. And anything that God would ever do through me, I pray he does more through you boys. Man, that's, that's blessing. And Jesus is saying, I'm anointed, I'm blessed, God's hand of affirmation is on me, and it's a new day in the neighborhood uh, here. It's a special mission. And then he goes on and he says, I'm chosen to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus had like good news for financially poor people. Now, that didn't mean that like Jesus was running around like Oprah on Oprah's Big Give, like giving free stuff to everybody. The good news was that God has leveled the playing field, and it doesn't matter if you're a have or a have not. The news of the kingdom is not that poor people cease being poor. The news of the kingdom is that our identity is not driven by what we make. And that God loves us right where we are. There'll always be poor among us, Jesus says. Who Jesus is more interested in is spiritually poor people. People who are bankrupt morally and spiritually destitute without him. People who come to God with nothing. That's why in Luke, I believe it's chapter 5, it says, Jesus says, blessed are the poor. For, theirs will inherit, for they will inherit the kingdom, or theirs is the kingdom. Matthew 5 says, um, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus offers people with nothing to offer uh, life, and he gives to those who have nothing to buy with. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Isaiah 55. If you ever just want to have a really good, like if you've got an hour of free time, go and sit down and just read Isaiah 55 and say, okay, what does this passage say? And what does this passage say for my life? And here's how Isaiah 55 starts off. It says, come to me, all who are thirsty and, uh, and receive from me. And God goes on and he says, or Isaiah goes on speaking for God. And he says, come to me and buy milk. You who have no money, I'm willing to give you something that you can't buy and you don't, I'll give it to you. You don't have to have it. Just come. Jesus comes to give good news to the poor, um, that they can be part of his family and that the people who are morally and spiritually bankrupt can be rich in the kingdom of God. Not literally. Honestly, I've thought uh, over and over about what if I'd won that mega millions because the kid who won it was 29 and he was from where we had moved from. I think I shared that last Sunday. And, uh, and he showed up for work the next day, not realizing he had won. And they were talking about who had won it. And he pulled his ticket out and realized he had just won, he had won the mega millions at, at work. And he goes, well, doesn't look like I'll be seeing you guys tomorrow. And he just walked out of work that day, like literally just got up and said, have a good life, guys. I'm out of here. And um, I thought about what I would do had I won $1.6 billion, $900 million if you went ahead and took it one lump sum, $500 million once the government got their part of it. Um, and uh, I don't know that I would handle it well. 
the, the best thing God's going to give me is not money. That doesn't solve a whole lot of my problems. It's not going to bring me peace of mind. It's not going to give me more authentic relationships with people. It doesn't change what's on the inside of me. And Jesus says, I come to proclaim good news to the poor. He says, I come to proclaim freedom to captives. This is spiritual only. Some of the others are fit like literal and spiritual. This one's um, spiritual only. Jesus isn't like, hey, I'm Jesus, jailbreak. Everybody gets out of jail. Like everybody doesn't get to run out of jail because Jesus uh, was the Messiah. But it is spiritual. And um, those who are, what he's saying is for people who've been, captive by sin, I'm here to set you free. And man, for me, sin, like growing up, the, the way I was raised, uh, sin was we didn't drink because my dad was an alcoholic. We didn't smoke because that was my dad smoked four packs a day. And like, you know, that was bad. And uh, we didn't have like sex with people who weren't our wives or we didn't have sex before marriage because, um, you know, my dad did that with other women. And that was what broke up our family. And, uh, and we didn't listen to our rock and roll music, um, and we didn't uh, use swear words. Like, and if you, like, if you did those things, you could just kind of like generally be judgmental, like a judgmental butthead. You know? But as long as you didn't like drink, smoke, sleep around, listen to your music too loud, or use curse words, like everything else was fair game. And, uh, and man, Jesus' Jesus's definition and God's definition of sin is a little different. Here's God's definition. Anytime you miss the mark, think, think bullseye, think bow and arrows. Anytime we miss the bullseye at all, that is sin. Or as another theologian said 500 years ago, sin is when the, the heart turns in on itself. When the heart curves in on itself and we become inward rather than Godward, we're sinning. And man, we all do that. Like I do that all the time. And, uh, and I would imagine that you do too. And Jesus says, I, I came to proclaim freedom to people who are enslaved to that. And I will set you free from that. Because sin uh, enslaves us and destines us for hell and eternity apart uh, from God. And somebody has to liberate us because you can't liberate yourself from that. Uh, Jesus says, I come to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind. Literally, Jesus does that. He gives blind people sight. There's a great story in John 8 where Jesus heals a guy uh, who's never seen, and it makes the religious people mad because he does it on the wrong day of the week. And so they go to him, and, uh, and they go to his parents, and they're like, hey, is this your boy who can see now? And they're like, that's our boy. And they, and they say, well, who did this to him? And they're like, you go talk to him. You're trying to like entrap us here, and Jesus won't have any part of that. So he literally uh, gives sight to the blind, but then spiritually he takes, he uses miracles to meet physical needs to then take people who are spiritually blind and give them sight. Jesus often uses, he often shows the gospel in his actions and then shares the gospel in his words. Like good, good deeds would lead to good words. Not always, but often he would give sight to the blind and then show them and tell them that he was the Messiah. And then he wraps up by saying to set at liberty the oppressed, to set free oppressed people. Jesus would take demon-possessed people and sin-oppressed people, and he would make them free. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Galatians 5.1. It says, um, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. God didn't set us free to be religious, to feel guilty, to go to church a lot. All those things are great. Jesus set us free to be free because he loves us. And he set us free for freedom. John 8, 36 says, if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. And the last thing he gives, sorry, he says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And this is my favorite thing he says in this, honestly. Um, Jewish people 
Uh, seven was God's perfect number. It's why God made the, the world in seven days. There's like special significance to number seven for Jewish people. And so when God was setting up the Jewish calendar and Jewish years of celebration, there's this thing called the Jubilee year. It was the 50th year. So you would have seven years of seven. And in the 50th year, after the 49th year, you would have what was called the Jubilee year. Nobody knows if the Jews actually ever celebrated a Jubilee year. But in that year, here's what would happen. Any debt that you had would be forgiven. So if you had debt to someone for 49 years and it's compounded interest and it's gotten worse and worse, in the 50th year, debt's gone. In the 50th year, prisoners were freed. People who'd been enslaved to debt and to other problems, they were set free. Um, In the 50th year, God's spirit was as present on earth as was humanly possible. In the 50th year, it was like God was going to bring his spirit down and live as close to people as he could. And in the 50th year, in the Jubilee year, it was time to celebrate. It was a year of like eating and drinking and enjoying God and enjoying people because God was among them. Jesus is saying, I am the Jubilee year. You've been living 49 metaphorical years waiting for this. And here I am. It is time to celebrate, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's saying, I'm going to forgive your debts. I'm going to restore to you what was lost. I'm going to free you from slavery. I'm going to bring my spirit to earth and I'm going to stir your hearts to celebrate who I am, even while they were poor and under Roman authority. It's pretty incredible. That's a powerful statement. I come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That was Jesus' message that day, and that's his message to us. What he's revealing in that moment is what's called the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is four things. I want to tell them to you real quickly. One, the kingdom of God is heaven. Heaven, like a literal place. There is a literal hell and a literal heaven. I was talking with a friend the other night um, while the boys were playing flag football, and she told me, she says, I don't believe there's a heaven and hell. Uh, but if there is, I know I'm going to hell, and I'm good with that. It's like, Phew, that's, that's pretty bold. I was like, from what I understand, hell's going to be pretty hot. Like, I don't love heat, so I don't know that that's what you want to do. Like, and it was so heavy, and there was so much hurt in her voice that I didn't even begin to, like, dig into that other than just to say, hey, I love you, and I'm sorry you feel that way in that moment. Um, Heaven's a literal place for people who've trusted Christ for forgiveness of sin and salvation. There are streets of gold, and uh, there is no sin or brokenness or uh, anything like that in eternity. Uh, It's not going to be as lame as pop culture makes it, I promise. Like, we won't wear golden halos with uh, wings and and little, you know, precious, like precious moments uh, dolls. Uh, It won't be any of that. It won't be one eternal, like, choir concert. Uh, I think it'll be a place where God is and the people we love are. And whatever you love here, I really believe, as long as it's not sinful, you'll get to do it there. So if you love art, I think there'll be something to eternity where you're just making art. If you love playing basketball, I think there will be basketball courts all over heaven. Whatever it is that you love and can do and feel God's pleasure when you do it and bring him glory, I think heaven's going to be full of those places. And there will be no status or anything else because God is the center of all of it. And he will be the reason we're there and we'll realize that we were all so needy for him that he was all we needed. And uh, so the kingdom is heaven. Second, the kingdom is Jesus. Jesus was heaven come to earth. The word become flesh. John 1, uh, Eugene Peterson in the message says, the word became flesh, put on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. The kingdom of God is where Jesus is. 
He embodies the kingdom. Third, the kingdom is in a Christian. The kingdom of God, when someone turns and repents of sin, turns from sin and turns from themselves and invites Christ to be their savior and their Lord, the Bible says that God's spirit comes and lives in us and makes, and Jesus says, God will make his home with us. And where God resides is the kingdom. So God resides in you and I, so the kingdom of God is in us. So literally, if Jesus is light, we are lampposts. We carry the kingdom good news in us. That message in Luke 4, we carry around inside of us. The DNA of God is in a Christian who has given their lives to Jesus. So we are carriers of the kingdom. And then I love this one. Number four, the kingdom is among us as the church. We get to embody the kingdom and we get to announce the kingdom. We get to embody the kingdom of God, and we get to announce the kingdom of God, the good news, the gospel in Charlestown in Boston to the world. We as Christians and as a church don't bring God to Charlestown. God was here before the Puritans landed here, and was it 1628 or 1629? I can never remember. 28? Okay, good. Maybe 28, 29, one of those. Uh, God was here before they were here. God is omnipotent. He's everywhere. There's not a place that God isn't or hasn't been. So we're not bringing God to Charlestown. We are just joining him and embodying his message and living it out for people uh, so that they can see good news. People need repeated opportunities to hear, see, and respond to the good news of Jesus. And we get to be part of that in people's lives. We're here to be kingdom messengers. In 2018, uh, as a church, with our money and with our message and with our actions, we've tried to share that good news in various ways. And because I want December to just be about baby Jesus, because I love baby Jesus, I'm going to tell you what we've done in 2018 right now. And I'm going to share with you what God's called us to do in 2019. So if you'll start with that sky zone one, will you go back one more? Is there the orange one right before that one? These are the things we did this uh, year as a church. In January, we let any families in Charlestown who wanted to come, come have a free jump time at Sky Zone. Uh, We announced it and had several families who came that day. It was really cool. Uh, Go to the next one. Harvard Kent, because this school graciously lets us meet here, and it's not free, but the school doesn't get any money from us meeting here. It all goes to the school board. We try to be a blessing to the school however we can. One thing we did, they haven't had... Hey, go back. Where are you going? Why are you do, what are you doing? Uh, they haven't had a librarian there in 25 years. And Miss Lisa and other staff here do all they can to keep it up. But we had a team of 12 people who came and literally redid their library, bought them a new television, bought them new DVD players, all that uh, from our church. Fed the teachers lunch. Uh, other times during the year, we've given gift cards away to the principal to give coffee cards to uh, the teachers when they're having a down day or when they need something. We've come in and reorganized parts of the school, served teachers, uh, done all kinds of stuff. This is where God has allowed us to meet. We want to be a blessing to this place. All right, next one. We've had two parents' night outs where we bring in uh, nationally background-checked uh, volunteers, and then we let kids, we did one at the Y, one at the Boys and Girls Club, and parents can get a free babysitter for four hours and go on a date. We've done that twice. If you go to the next one, we co-sponsored the Charlestown Mothers Association's egg hunt. We had 500 uh, beach balls with our church's logo on them and pinwheels for every kid who maybe didn't get enough eggs that day. And then we ran a face painting booth, and there's Mark holding the sign. Look at you, man. You made it. That was a cold, windy day, wasn't it? Uh, The next one... 
on, uh, at Easter over at Harvest on Vine, families can get a ham and other food for Easter. That day was particularly cold, so we just bought as much Dunkin' coffee as we could and stood out in the cold and passed out coffee and munchkins to families. And then those kids who were here that day uh, did sidewalk chalk and bubbles with kids whose parents were standing in line. It was a really cool day. Uh, if you go to the next one. Uh, we did a community movie night at Charles Newtown show on the Lego movie, and every kid who came that night got a free box of Legos uh, from our church in addition to having the movie and snacks and everything else. Uh, we did a movie night in partnership with the Kennedy Center right across the street where we showed Black Panther this summer, and that was a really cool night. If you go to the next one, uh, we had a community night that got a movie night that got rained out uh, where we were going to show The Incredibles. That was such a bummer to not be able to do that movie, but that was one of our favorite nights this summer because we all just got to hang out once the rain stop. If we go to the next one, uh, at Bunker Hill uh, weekend for the concert on that Saturday night, we had volunteers who came up and again passed out beach balls, played games with kids, face painted, played cornhole with kids while parents listened to music and got to engage uh, with neighbors and friends. The next day for the parade, we did two things. We had volunteers who lined up every single participant in the parade. Uh, they were there to make sure everybody was in the proper order for the parade. And then once they finished that, we had 550 bags with our church's logo on them that uh, had a little card, invite to church, said, let's be part of something monumental together, and then had an American flag, uh, red, white, and blue necklaces, bubbles, uh, cereal bar, a bo- uh, little uh, water, and some other stuff in it, stickers and tattoos and stuff like that, and we gave those out to kids. If you go to the next one, the next day, the last event of Bunker Hill Week was a cookout at Harvest on Vine, and we provided the volunteers who just went and interacted with people there and then cleaned up afterwards so that their volunteers could leave and not have to clean up in the dark. If you'll go to the next one. We had four weeks of activity camp this summer at Charles Newtown. Uh, one week of math camp, three weeks of activity camp, which was really fun. That's how we've gotten to know Justin and other kids over at Charles Newtown. And uh, then we provided the volunteers for the Kennedy Center's uh, golf tournament in September. If you'll go to the next one. Uh, we had uh, a team of photographers who were here, and the athletic department at the high school asked us to come over and photograph their football team uh, during one of their games. So we photographed their football team, some of their facilities, their cheerleaders, other stuff for them, and then turned over all the photos to them. Uh, for the, on the Fort Charlestown Day, where we didn't meet on a Sunday just to give volunteers a break, we went instead to different restaurants and coffee shops here in, Boston, in Charlestown and gave away $1,400 to servers and baristas on that day. Um, if you go to the next one. On Halloween, just the other day, we ran a Polaroid photo booth, and 350 families or kids got a free Polaroid uh, with with an invite to our church. And man, that was just a really fun night serving the community. I'll tell you about a cool story that came from that in just a moment. Two days later, we worked in the city of Chelsea at an event called Dia de Esperanza. Uh, Chelsea is a city with uh, just kind of a honestly, like a tough history of some things that have happened there. Their downtown has burned twice in the last hundred years. A lot of hurt in that city and people's lives and sort of as a community. And this was an event they created to help with healing. And so we provided all their volunteers for that. Uh, on November 2nd. And then over the course of the year, whether it was to the Little League, the Mothers Association, the Y, Special Townies, 
um, Christmas offering coming up called the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. To the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, we gave $1,000. To the Harvard Kent, we gave them $500. They had a goal that they wanted to reach for their uh, spring fundraiser, and we helped them reach that goal by giving them $500. I think they raised $4,500 at that. And then to a network, our network called Send Boston. And also, too, there's a family, uh, a guy starting a church in Worcester, and his son has a lot of physical needs, and they needed to buy a handicap-accessible van. I went to a meeting one day, and, uh, and we were told of the need, and we raised, they need, the family needed $15,000, and there were about 20 church plants like ours there, and we raised $15,000 in three minutes, literally. Like, everybody's like, I'll send you $500, I'll send $1,000, i will send 2000 and our church gave $500 to that family so they could buy a handicap-accessible van. Uh, for their son. So it's been well over 6,000. I can quickly just say it's been 6,000, but that's been over and above some other things that we've given to during the course of the year. This fleshes out the kingdom of God. When people see a church giving their money away and giving their time away, it makes a difference. So the other night we had the team coming to run the Polaroid photo booth was on the airplane. They were from Phoenix City, Alabama, and um, they were on the airplane, and they ran into, they were sitting by, I guess, a mom on the Mothers Association, and she realized they were coming, so she starts messaging other members of the Mothers Association saying, hey, Christ Church has some people coming to run a photo booth or something tonight at Halloween, and the lady who sees the message or gets the text, I don't know how it worked, Natalie showed me a screenshot of it, says, yeah, I know, that church is awesome, aren't they? And, um, and it's coming, and here was sort of the process. So cool. It was a Jewish mom who saw it, who sent it to a Roman Catholic mom, who sent it to an agnostic mom who texted Natalie. Man, you talk about, like, the gospel going out and good, like, good news coming into the neighborhood. That's cool to me. That's why we exist. That's what we exist to be and to do. We've tried to be really careful to share the gospel this year uh, with and to serve everyone in this neighborhood, not just one part of the town or one group to the exclusion of other parts of the neighborhood, because we believe that's how Jesus would operate if he lived here. So we try to be really careful. Like if we serve the Little League, then we also want to go in and serve the Moms Association or we want to serve the Kennedy Center. We want to be really balanced in how and who we serve in this neighborhood. Uh, I think Jesus would do that. I think it honors him when we do that really well. So I was talking with Tom Cuna the other, a couple months ago, and he's the president. Is president, is that his title, Lisa, of the Charlestown Neighborhood Council? And he said, JD, he's like, there's never been anything like Christ Church in this neighborhood. He said, people will come. It's going to take time. He said, there's never been a church that gives back to the community like you guys are giving back, and it's making a difference. And uh, man, that's good. Like, And here's the good news we've shared. We've shared that God loves and chooses regular people. That's why he's picked us. Nobody here is like a spiritual all-star, including me. Nobody. God picks regular people. We've shared that Jesus and his spiritual wealth, freedom, sight, and the ability to come uh, out from under the weight of an oppression of sin is good news. That Jesus sets people free. And we've shared that people can be set free in and through a relationship with God by Jesus. That's the good news. Not that we need to go to church more, not that we need to feel guilty or not guilty, but that Jesus declares us not guilty and we can be part of God's family and have relationship with God. That's the gospel. The gospel humbles us. We're all recipients of good news and are now to embody and announce the gospel. Whether you live on Monument Square or Bunker Hill Street, if you're in the Gaslight area or if you're out at, what's it called? I always call it the end of the world. What's that part of Charlestown that's right past... uh, 
right? Yeah, Parker Street and, Bra- and Brighton Street. Like, the end of the world. That, like, if you've ever gone to the tavern at the end of the world, that is technically Charlestown. Like, whatever part of this neighborhood you live in, there is good news. It's a jubilee year. We can live in jubilee in this neighborhood where street names don't matter, and we can become family together because of the gospel. And the gospel compels us. I don't feel sorry for anybody in this neighborhood. I don't feel sorry for anybody, and you never should feel sorry for anyone in this neighborhood. We're not better than anybody as Christians. The only difference between us and the most and the person farthest from Jesus in this neighborhood is that the good news of the gospel has gotten to you before it's gotten to them. And we are here to get that good news to the people who haven't had a chance to see it or hear it or respond to it enough. We feel no pity for others, but we share the message of the kingdom as those who've already received the message of the kingdom. We are unlikely messengers, but our message is, it is the year of Jubilee. The Savior is here, and it's time to celebrate. So three ways you can respond. One, receive the gospel, be made free, be healed, be enriched in Jesus, turn from sin, trust in Christ, surrender your whole self. Man, I love going to the common. One of my favorite things about living in Boston is going down to the common at Christmas and seeing baby Jesus in that little case. You know, does anybody know what I'm talking about? I love it. I don't know who puts that out. I love it. I love it. I love it. It reminds me that in this fast-paced hustle and bustle city where it feels like everybody's hustling to try to stay above water, that there is good news. And 2,000 years ago, God put skin on, became incredibly vulnerable so that we could have relationship with him. Receive the gospel. Two, celebrate the gospel. As we head into Thanksgiving, be thankful for Jesus. As we head into Christmas, revel in what Jesus' birth and death and resurrection accomplished for us. It's Jubilee time. I've I bought for every household here. I didn't buy it. The church bought it. Uh, this book, it's called In the Manger by Max Lucado. Uh, it's a really sweet, it's a really sweet, not like devotional, but it does have a scripture for 25 days and like a three-page little thing. So for those of you who hate reading, you can read a pa- like three pages a day. I, pr- I promise you, you can. Uh, and I want everybody to take one and grab it today. Take one with you when you go. Uh, if you come and receive communion today, grab one. If you don't receive communion, at least grab a book. And I want you to, I want you to read it over the course of the next month. Um, I think it will encourage your heart uh, in powerful ways. I read it this week again. It's just so good. I mean, third, we embody and announce the gospel individually and, uh, and as a church. And honestly, um, we want to do that in Charlestown and Boston and even beyond. And I've sat in churches that don't do it well. And I think we do it well. And if, if you're going to invest your life on a Sunday morning for being somewhere and arrange your schedule where we could all get out of town on the weekend or sleep in or go do something else. If you're going to carve out part of your life and time and resources and energy to invest in a group of people who want to be good news in a community, like choose wisely. I think it's a really great church. And, um, we almost set up, I didn't have the heart to ask Renee to do it, but we almost set up 60 chairs in here today because I really am praying and believe that on Easter, God would have us have 100 people here. And uh, so 60 in here would mean 40 down there based on kind of the ratios we keep. And uh, man, I think that's just 100 more people that get to hear the gospel. I met with the president of the Moms Association back in March. And she, it's the first time I'd ever sat down with her. She's not the president of it anymore. She's outgoing. She's awesome. Uh, and I consider her and her husband friends. And she said, well, J.D., how big do you want your church to be? 
She never heard of us. It was the first time she heard. I said, well, I think that's the wrong question. She said, well, what do you mean? I said, how many people live in our neighborhood? And she said, well, 17,000. I was like, now I want them all to hear. I want, I, we will not stop as a church until all 17,000 people have repeated opportunities to hear and see and touch and respond to the good news of Jesus. And everybody's not going to come, but we won't stop till everybody hears because it's the only message worth proclaiming to everybody. It's the only thing uh, in, in a neighborhood where you have the, the, the heaviest of the haves and some of the most have-nots financially in our culture. It's the only thing that can bring us together. So we exist as a church to bring Charlestown together around the gospel. 